All right, well, we've done three of our top three categories. We've done a lot of different topics. I think it's time for one of my favorite new segments on our retrospective, Listener Mail. I'm I'm bracing. I'm bracing with a clenched asshole in this moment. I'll start with something really positive and personal. It's less about the show, more about uh, other stuff. Uh, this uh, is Jordan sounds like Jerry Seinfeld. We can't hear Paul. What do, they got? <laughs> what do they want? Craig writes in from Facebook. I'm listening to the season two recap, and someone mentioned Patsy's Bakery. I noticed that's the second Lindenhurst mentioned. My parents moved to Lindenhurst oh. when they were kids, and I lived there until I was 14. A local. I brought cookies home from Patsy's for my wife and kids when I went back in 2021. We always used to go there for Italian ices in the summer. That's the same place, my man, my hometown boy. So your your buddy Craig there. That's my buddy Craig. Uh, Thank you for writing in, Craig, and thank you for listening. We love Patsy's. It keeps our dessert uh, vibe going here for Jordan. Basically, we have some Shoyado for after the show. Lily and I handle the entree. Paul usually brings uh, snacks, appetizers, hors d'oeuvres, and Jordan brings dessert from Patsy's, and we love it. It's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nick. uh, Sorry, Mick. Uh, I'm not, I generally, unless you specify, don't want to give last names on these. Uh, just so if you want us to use your yeah, Just read their name, home address, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Mick emailed the show with the email subject, sperm smuggling. <laughs> oh, no. I think this one's actually directed to you, Jordan, because I think you... Uh, you yeah, I, I really did not, the, I did not think this was possible. <laughs> this is the simple t- text of the email. Back in 1996, reputed mobster George Georgie Neck Zappola bribed a guard to smuggle his sperm out of a penitentiary. All right. I verified that. That's our uh, Snapple cap fact. I, <laughs> I verified that, and it did in fact happen. So. All right. This has been Children's Fun Fact Science Corner. <laughs> so that is credible. Thank you, Mick. All right. I, I, I Listen, I was wrong. <laughs> I, apparently it's real. That's pretty fucked up. They do that a lot on Oz. You do they? Think, yeah, it's like mostly true stories just congealed oh, okay, right. into this one yeah. moment at a prison. You had but to say congealed of, around the sperm conversation. Ugh. <laughs> the, um, but some of the most ridiculous stories from Oz were totally real. It's just... Wow, that's funny. Thank you, Mick. I got it. We got a question here from uh, Sean. Hey, Chris, just wanted to reach out for a couple reasons. First, you guys do a great job. I'm really enjoying your podcast. I'm a super fan like yourself, and so it's it's so nice to listen to someone who sees the show like I do. So thank you. Second, I want to ask you this because I've argued with my brother about this for years. You guys haven't covered this episode yet, but in all due respect, Season 5, Episode 13, when Tony makes a speech at Raymond's birthday in front of the whole crew about Tony B., and at the end, when Patsy says, thanks, that was great. Was he being sincere, or was he being a smartass? I have my opinion, and I would like to hear yours. Again, I know you didn't cover this yet, but I know you know the scene. Thanks again. Keep up the tremendous work. So, uh, Sean and... His, first of all, thank you, Sean. Second of all, Sean and... What was it? His, his brother or his friend? His brother. His brother have been arguing about this for years. So I want to help settle this. Patsy genuine, or is he being a smartass there? smartass it's fatalistic like they're fucked and they all know it <laughs> and tony's in there like trying to do the pep him up and <laughs> patsy's saying to the blank wall thanks that was great i totally agree i disagree i also disagree <gasps> hell yeah 
I think uh, I think Patsy's being genuine. I think since they had the big talking to to Patsy after Patsy almost killed Tony, by the way, I think publicly he expresses only support. I, I think it's legitimate. I think he hears Tony's words, and I, I whether he thinks it's hollow or not, the outward expression of those words is, hey, thanks, yeah, thank you. Uh, it, it's it's just... I'm sorry. Sorry, I'm stopping this. I'm, you guys are... <laughs> So completely off. No, we, need think, to, we need I to put the episode in. We need to put the episode in right now so you can hear the tone in his voice and realize how wrong you are. <laughs> hold on, hold this on. Is, this is not... I'm not having this conversation. Paul, that was... I, 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 could re, I read his, his vocal tone as reverent, like... Yeah, like somebody just watched a flag being raised. I agree. Really patriotic. Uh, I think it's performative, but I think he is supporting. <laughs> that was great. Ooh, Isn't it fuck? Am I talking to? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally this is, I, on that one. I'm sorry, you got like you guys. Are, you guys are full of baloney. You guys Absolutely are fucking not. whistling. I'm not. This how fu- not how funny is it? How funny is it that he's the only one at this table who loved it? I think that's great. Nah. Everyone's and looks yes, at him like that. What? Would be funny if that's what were happening. I think he's into it. I What's think funny he's not is that this smart. reaction. All right, well, Sean, <laughs> Sean, you may have ruined the pot. We may not be coming back. This fight is going to carry off. So we settled nothing for you and your brother. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for <laughs> listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sean. That was great. We have a- <laughs> See, that's how that line works. <laughs> Paul's fired up. Can you hear him now, everybody? <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! And for the record, I grew up two towns over from Seinfeld. Okay, we can't help it. <laughs> That's right, Pequot. Right. This is an email from a different Sean. Ooh, last Sean. Uh, this is. I'm reading this purely. This must have been one of the weeks there was an. Is this Sean rhymes with Bond or Sean rhymes with Bean? Sean rhymes with Bean. Okay. Uh, this one is. <laughs> this one is uh, not. Well, let's just say this must have been one of the weeks where there was an extra week or so in between episodes. Uh-oh. And I just want to read it because I really love the way he worded it, just asking when the next, ep- <laughs> next episode is going to be. The subject is this about the Easter podcasts, and it was around Easter time. <laughs> <laughs> and the first line of the email, I want to know why there's zero growth in this podcast receipts. Where's the fucking episode? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Jokes aside, is there an episode coming? Been listening for a bit. Was hoping for a new one this week. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Sean, for the laugh. Really appreciate that. The episode did eventually drop. Probably not on a holiday week. I will tell you this, folks. Officially, we come out every two weeks, uh, every other Sunday. If there's a holiday week, that is likely going to jam it up. Uh, you know, Lily and I, we work, a f- most of, all of us here work a full-time schedule, if not more, because we have a lot of extracurricular interests, and one of them is this podcast, which we will always do, and we will always put out, we are going to finish the episodes. We are going to finish this show. But on a <laughs> holiday weekend, sometimes it's a little tough for me to, you know, walk away from in a food-abundant barbecue or something to come in and edit, so, especially yeah. during the summer. So... Sorry about that. Well, we are going to keep it coming. We have no abundant intentionality of working on holidays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Listen, we've said this many times. You know, we we started this podcast in the pandemic. We were able to bank a huge number of episodes and release them responsibly every two weeks. 
Then life came roaring back in. We do not live close to each other. Uh, it's hard to just come out of life sometimes to record, and sometimes things get delayed. It's not anybody's fault. It's just how it is. <laughs> we would love nothing more than to keep recording together consistently and release all the episodes on time. It's just uh, not how it's going to be, probably. I don't know. We'll see. If only it were just as simple as drag and drop. Squarespace. <laughs> you should sponsor us. <laughs> I could really go for some sun basket right now. <laughs> I love the wording of that email, though. Right. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, okay, this one is from Alyssa. Hey, guys, just finished listening to Season 5, Episode 3, wherein you had a rather long rant about Janice and Bobby policing Bobby Jr.'s diet, which had me yelling at my phone. I'm not caught up with you guys yet, so I don't know if you've corrected yourself, but my dudes, Janice took away the chocolate milk, and Bobby said go easy on the Snapple, because, as you mentioned previously in the episode, much to AJ's delight... Bobby Jr. has started peeing the bed again. Yeah. They're nagging at him because they don't want him pissing the bed that night. Nothing to do with his weight. Whew, I feel better now that I got that out. Thanks for this podcast. I've listened to a lot of Sopranos podcasts. This is one of the better ones. Keep up the good work, guys. Alyssa. Well, thanks, Alyssa. Thank uh, you, Alyssa. Yeah, I, I, I think we may have addressed that since then, by the way. Uh, yes, it's probably more likely that it is his wetting the bed that is the problem but th there is something up with the food there too or maybe it's just because of my own experiences it reminded me of something to that effect i had it i don't know if i talked about this at you the did. time did i talk about my incident you, with where, where my uncle did. pulled away a plate of food for yeah, me yeah you did he did that because he's a cheap son of a bitch and it was like clam pasta okay yeah. it had seafood <laughs> on it i felt a different way about it because i was a fat kid yeah like oh he's taking this from me i should stop eating and it would so I think it could be both. I felt for him as a fat little boy, like getting a, something, a food item you're about to consume taken away from you sucks. But your interpretation, Alyssa, is a thousand percent valid. In fact, yeah, it's, it's, probably, it's probably the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hi, Alyssa. Thanks for writing in. I think it's a very good point when Chris mentioned it. I had not thought of that being yeah. a connective tissue. My gentle pushback would be about would be in the form of a question. Why does Bobby Jr. piss the bed? Why does he experience anxiety? What's going on with him? Um, among other things, his mother's died. Uh, his father remarried. He remarried the woman that he did. Um, who, among other things, reveals secrets that are the kid's own business to another 15-year-old punk shithead who thinks it's so funny, in spite of the fact that he was pissing the bed three years ago at summer camp. And yeah, it's a problem. It's a problem that, that the kid has, but Janice, as his stepmother, I, I think makes it worse. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say, but I still think I think the criticism, all the criticisms of Janice still stand. Yeah, of course, absolutely. David writes in, "Hey guys, big fan of the podcast. I love that you continue to discuss the show, one of the great TV novels, so intelligently and engagingly. It makes it seem as if it is still airing and I and still vital. As a former resident of the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut tri-state area, I grew up in Connecticut, lived on the coast for decades." I also really love the local details you drop about shooting locations, settings, and your experience in creative fields. Great stuff. Thank you, David. I have to say that for me, season five is the season that most rewards return viewings. And I, I feel agree. it has the richest set of one-off characters who either take a one-episode spin with huge effect or drop in after a reference from a previous season to close a plot loop. Sure. But I wonder if you might have a category for season five in your retrospective to rank the top three low-key, high-impact characters along these lines. I discount Tony B, as he has a full arc. Standouts here are, to my mind, 
Sung Young Kim, Mr. Wegler, Fran Felstein, Matush, Feech, and Russ Vigoli. There are more like Salvicho or Uncle Pat, of course. Matush is my number one, with number two being Feech. Um, and Sung Young Kim for number three, in that he's just in one episode, but he seems like he has much more screen time. At any rate, I would also honorably mention Russ Figoli, as I am one of those viewers of the opinion that he's Pauly Walnut's unacknowledged dad. What? (laughs) (laughs) That is a fan theory that we can't get into yet, but we will discuss. Okay. Would love to hear what you guys think. In any case, thanks for reading and keep up the great podcasting. Thoughts on uh, his general point about these low-key, high-impact characters? The Russ Figoli. I mean, Russ Figoli... Certainly made an impression. These characters this season, there seemed to be an abundance of them. Dave, David's right that these like these one-off characters like Mr. Kim, who you know has a great episode with Tony B, and then he, it's a one-and-done, basically. Seems like a Korean Tony, the boss. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, listen, the casting in The Sopranos is off the fucking charts, and we're not just talking about for regular returning cast members. They do an amazing job with everybody who appears, so... Uh, Listen, I know what you mean. Uh, season 5 is is rich with characters who appear just briefly or that we just see once. Um, I would even almost discount Feech since he's featured in more than one episode. Um, but uh, listen, ab- absolutely. Wegler, Feech, all, all these characters are really... They, they shape the season and, and they give it substance. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm caught unprepared on a ranking. But listen, we've, we've already discussed at length the importance of the impact that Feech has had. Uh, that Wegler has had, I would argue, for Rusty Milio, um, Angelo Garepe. I mean, there's there's a lot of minor characters that have a huge, huge impact. Well, How about San Severino, for that matter? Oh, yes. Hey, let's not discount San Severino. Hell yeah. Well, well, yeah. We, we feel that way, yes. <laughs> this is a, you know who I would almost include before Wegler? Um, the teacher that works for Wegler, or the Ooh. teacher that works in that school. I Fisk. already forget the character. Fisk. Fisk. Thank you, Mr. Yeah. Fisk who almost exactly reminds me of Vincent D'Onfrio's character from The Player, by the way. Um, but yes, uh, just kind of like the stick-to-your-guns English teacher who doesn't want to budge, right, and uh, accuses Wegler of exactly what is going on, special treatment because of last name Soprano, I think is indicative of a larger issue going on, and that character made just as much impact on me in two scenes as Wegler did in his whole existence. Wow. Mommy in color eighty nine tweeted or was it X'd now? It's I don't know what to call this. Twitter I refuse to X'd. acknowledge. Okay. I just call it I just call it X Twitter as in ex girlfriend. It's X Twitter. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, literally, like I literally unsubscribe from Twitter. I don't give a fuck anymore. Mommy in color eighty nine tweeted at Sopranos podcast listening to season five episode nine and I agree with Paul. Mike Tyson was the king of the early round knockout. Ali went the distance. All right. All right. There you go. A little love for you, Paul. A lot of love for you, Paul, actually. Um, Paul, I bet if you find her, you can shoot your shot there. <laughs> Get on Twitter. <laughs> you can smuggle some of your semen out of the house. Ladies, Paul, oh. Paul I, I want to hook Paul up. If any of you single uh, ladies out there love The Sopranos want to write in, please feel free to do that for our next retrospect. Uh, this this is from Leah or Leah. I'm not sure. It's, it's spelled L-E-A-A-H. Probably Leah. Uh... Long, meaty email with some questions for you guys, and Lily, in all caps. All right. Hey, guys, thanks for the podcast. I don't actually know, didn't actually know that much about The Sopranos before I started listening, uh, but I really enjoy your dramatol- dramaturgical spelling, psychological, and emotional breakdowns. I've also started re-watching, though I admit I'm skipping some of the more brutal episodes because you know what? Life is tough enough. I hear you there. 
Anyway, I'm curious to hear your takes on a few questions and thoughts. I realize that some of them are in the realm of speculation, but I think that's what will make it interesting and fun to hear you cogitate. Oh, and please have Lily be part of this discussion. <clears throat> so we have Lily here. If she Hi. weren't here, this would have been... <laughs> she asked two questions and then goes on about something else. So, so let's do the two questions and let's answer them before we continue with the rest of the email. Question one. Why do you think that in the world of the show, Junior never got married? I think he explains it well enough. I forget which episode, and I actually misquoted it earlier. He just says uh, that he didn't feel it was right to bring a woman into their thing. I think mm. for him, gangster life has always made a lot more sense than women did. So yeah. I think he just chose to excel in that one particular regard. And also, not to be unkind, but he's kind of weird with women. Like, he's kind of weird with girls. He doesn't have his brother's charm. He has romances. He has flings. He should have stayed with Bobby. Didn't work out. Uh, and that's it. I, I, I imagine if my brother were married to someone like Livia too, I might say, oof, you know what? That's not for me. Uh, <laughs> that might be part of it, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, Carano was always skulking around the buildings and weird <laughs> phone calls, right? What Fran Felstein says this season. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I kind of respect the guys that choose not to get married because you're going to have the Gumars anyway. So might as well just like not have the trouble of doing the double thing so like yeah. good for you junior and polly and yeah. you know like right. yeah do that i think that's if you're gonna do all of this that's the way to do it i think question but, oh, sorry. sorry i just want to add one thing no, I, I do think uh leah that um junior is unhappy and is recognizing his unhappiness late in life so he might have felt good about that decision not to marry not to have a regular girl earlier but i think he's regretting some of that now i mean we do see his bitterness at not having some of the things that let's say hugh DeAngelis has or that tony has which is a family uh yeah it brings other frustrations but you essentially have no garden um yeah it's a good question i think i think he made a poor choice uh, if he were happy in his old age by the way i'd say well he made a great choice for him but he's not agreed yeah. that's fair question number two is pretty fascinating actually who would make the better gangster, Janice or Carmilla? Wow. That's a hell of a question, isn't it? I have an answer. Talk to me. To be fair, you've read this to me already, so I... You've had a chance I to think about it. I had a chance to think about it. Janice would be a better heavy. Carmilla would be a better boss. Hmm. Carmilla knows how to get what she wants with words, with manipulation... Janice can beat anybody in the submission either I, that's that's how I would hire them on my my family team <laughs> I think I like that way to frame it I do um, too maybe Carmen and Car correspondingly perhaps Carmela's weakness might be certain stern tough decisions as opposed to being a thinker which I do think Carmela is I think she can strategize and Janice's liability would probably be much more like Tony's, which is his emotionality. Mm -hmm. Actually, that there are times when you can't just react. One thing I do want to throw in this is, I think I agree fully with what, everything you guys just said. Chips on the table, better gangster, pick one. Probably Carmela boss Janice as the guy out, out in the street. But I do want to throw a caveat in there that Carmela's moral character is less suited to gangster life than Janice. Janice has a criminal mind. So, yes, exactly. Yeah. So if if you, in this imaginary scenario where Carmela's a better mob boss than Janice, we have to wear away at 
what moral scruples she does have. Because there are lines Carmella wouldn't cross that Janice absolutely crosses. I can't see Carmella shooting anybody, even if she was hit. Uh, mm. At least not unless it was a life-threatening situation. And Janice, we don't even have to put it in the hypothetical. Yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I'd go with Carmella, uh, but I think an argument can be made for both. Uh, I think Carmella has just a better head on her shoulders. Just to, She's more intelligent. She knows how to manipulate. She's better with politics. Um, yeah, she can't make hard moves, but I think that is what you delegate. Uh, or I think that's the thing that's easier to learn. It's not like Janice is going to learn how to be smarter or to have a better brain suddenly, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Carmella can be taught that, I think. But uh, again, this is all hypothetical, and I think if we can make an imaginary scenario where you can have both of them as the head, I think they actually complement each other very nicely. Yes. Probably for the same reasons that Carmella and Tony complement each other nicely. Yes. Very nice. Leah continues. One thing I appreciate is how you have talked about your evolving appreciation for the show's many themes as you've grown in life experiences and personal insights. Now, we hate the show. <laughs> it strikes me that if my, math, <laughs> if, my, if my math is correct, which is always an undependable thing... Then when the show aired, you guys were actually around AJ's age. I think it would be interesting to try and put yourselves even more directly into your exploration of the show from that perspective. In other words, how would you as a teenager have experienced what's happening in the family and in the lowercase f family? I'm not trying to imply that your backgrounds or family dynamics are identical to AJ's, but as adolescents in Italian families and communities, what did you actually perceive, experience, or believe about gender roles, the mafia, race, etc.? That's a loaded question. Well, that's a... I mean, it's a great question. It's a great yeah. question. It's a really big question that's yeah. hard to answer. There's a lot of facets there. Um, I don't know how to give an answer that is very satisfying other than to say my household was, I think, typical for a lot of Italian families. Um, my father may have provided for the house, but my mother ran the household. They argued frequently. They loved passionately. I felt loved. I also was terrified of them in my own way. I think AJ goes through something similar. And I think there's an extra layer on top of his because he knows his father has um, another life outside of the household that is uh, darkly alluring, shall we say. Um, I had some cousins and uncles for which I was very suspect. And if I really looked hard enough, they probably had something to do with organized crime. Only one is confirmed. (laughs) <laughs> um, and yeah, food was very important. I think one of the reasons why all of us identify with this show, uh, is because we had a similar upbringing to, let's say, AJ or Meadow. Uh, but what's funny is, I don't even know that these things are specifically Italian things. Certain aspect, uh, aspects, for sure, right? But I, I think this is relatable for a lot of people. Couldn't anything I just said be applied to other households with other ethnicities, other religions, etc.? I think so. Yeah. This is tough to admit. Uh, as AJ's age, at a- at AJ's age, had I found out my dad was in the mob, I would have thought it was the coolest fucking thing ever. I, was and I think so, he does. Yeah. Uh, now that's funny to say because like I'm one of the I'm I'm so goddamn gentle. I'm too nice for my own good. I I can never actually hurt somebody. I I Lily knows this about me. I go out of my way to think the best of people so <laughs> I, I don't know how that would have reconciled with me as I got older but at that time I was in it man like I was really into the mob movies and 
as a 13-year-old, we joke about it here, I was in the hits and tits crowd. I wanted to, you know, I wanted more fucking Pauly Walnuts fucking people up and who's going to get whacked and these motherfuckers. And, but at the same time, I was also very traditional in my ideas about gender roles and family. My mom took care of the house and the kids and my dad went out and worked. And I always saw myself in that kind of situation. Man goes out, earns the bread, Woman takes care of the house and the kids. I didn't see anything wrong with that. I didn't see anything oppressive about it. I also never believed that women had to engage in that role, but I never saw myself with somebody as a young man who wouldn't be in that kind of role. And lo and behold, my wife, because I chose the life of an actor, <laughs> makes far more money than I do. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, what's funny is I, I don't know that I seek to emulate the life I grew up in. I don't need that. All. I don't need that dynamic at all, necessarily. Not at all, yeah. There are aspects of it I admire, but I, I hope to be with someone that I don't argue that much with, right? That, I only uh, took the food with me. <laughs> yeah, really. right, exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm perfectly happy to, uh, you know, share a situation where me and my wife uh, have equal income or she makes more than me. I, I don't need those traditional things. In other words, I'm not really looking for what Tony has wanted, right? He's looking for something, you know, from the past. I, I don't need that. Um, but that's a really good question. Uh, with yeah. more time to respond, I think we can come up with something maybe a little deeper, but that's, that, you know, cause that's a, that's a higher order question. Yeah. That's asking us how we analyze the things we're analyzing. Why? Really, really good question. Certainly being part of like the hits and tits crowd when I was younger, I would certainly say that my reading of the show has grown more sophisticated, but I mean, then, now... To reflect on it, like AJ, I had a hard time with my dad growing up, but I adored him, and still do. And I think AJ's struggle yeah. is like that, um, because he genuinely does love his dad. And the same things that make his dad such a powerful criminal also make him a larger-than-life uh, figure that brings a lot to that dynamic, and AJ is uh, overwhelmed by it. Uh so to answer the question in a bit of a roundabout way, uh, while it's grown and changed, I think there's always been something or some things deeply personal um, in it that, as Jordan said, are colored in by the Italian-American dynamic, but are more universal. Mm. Well said. Anything on the, I know you're not you're the non-Italian here. I'm right? not Italian. I'm Italian adjacent. Uh, um, but do you have anything to say on this? I a little bit, maybe not quite so directly, but. You know, I found myself, I, w I was pretty token as a Jewish kid, mostly in, in high school, um, and extracurricular things even earlier, and I always found myself with a lot of Italian friends. Hmm. I really liked going to their houses for parties. It was very different from what a party at my house looked like. That didn't mean that I didn't like what my family did. It was just, di it was very different. Despite the cultural dif the cultural similarities between Jews and Italians, and there are a lot, I feel there, there are, are quite a bit. My family doesn't really do that. Okay, there the is abundance. No the that's not how we celebrate. There are almost no two different events on Earth than Italian Christmas Eve and Jewish Passover. I, I can't think of two more. <laughs> yeah, but even still, no. Yeah, but yeah, even yeah. but even in the realm of of culturally Jewish, typically there is far more abundance. Sure. My family's just never done that, and so um, 
And I just mean the over the top. I mean, there's always oh, we always have a delicious. My meal. mom goes over the fucking top. But but Christmas that's Eve. correct. <laughs> and, but I think that that is something that the cultures typically share. My family doesn't. Yeah, your family's normal. <laughs> in, well, that's a well, hilarious right, well, a, statement. Uh, but in that sense, um, in that sense, yeah, or at least just moderate. But. The same draw I had to my Italian friends growing up, I feel that same draw to The Sopranos. Mm. I see, not from the mafia standpoint, right? But um, of that, I would have had no idea. I still don't, whatever. But I still feel that same draw. And I still find myself constantly surrounded by Italian-American people. (laughs) So here we go. I've just always been adjacent. It's funny, all my friends growing up, uh, and I, I would say even a majority of my friends now are Jewish. Mm-hmm. Uh, always was the case. I'm from Long Island, uh, as mentioned many times on the podcast. Um, and uh, when I would go over my friends' houses, I just I felt like it was just a bizarro version of my own house. Like, it was just like, oh, I get it. This, this basically works the same way. Obviously, some Jewish traditions are different, and there are other more culturally significant things that are different. But I was they're like, they're not oh. putting pork ribs in the gravy. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but I was like, it was it was very much the same. There was yeah. really nothing to get used to. You know, it was culturally the same. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. loving, warm, right, funny. Um, the mom kind of runs things. Dad's, mom, yeah, you know, dad's yeah. There's working, a lot you know. of similarities yeah. that way. When I was thirteen, I picked up a book about stand-up comedy, and and the first chapter said if you're jewish or italian don't even spend the money put the book down you're good (laughs) 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 so i always took that with me that's funny my best friend growing up was a kid named david goldman who went to catholic school with me i Um, also went to catholic school so there you go Boom. and the joke between our mothers respectively and uh, jewish and italian mothers broadly was um the differences are simple. There's similarities, but um, a Jewish mother says, "If you don't eat, I'll die," and an Italian mother says, "If you don't eat, I'll kill you." <laughs> <laughs> That's Correct. funny. Um, all right, getting back to Leah's email here, she writes two more extensive, beautifully written, articulate paragraph. I want to invite her on the show. That's how good this shit she's writing. Fifth host. However, we do have a finite amount of time on the retrospective. So, Leah, I want you to listen. You're a fan of the show. Uh, I promise you, either in a future retrospective or some other moment in our show before we wrap up the Sopranos podcast, I want to get to your other two paragraphs and I will uh, read anything else you ever send us. So I promise I'm going to get back to the rest of your excellent emails. She talks about class and and, and immigration, all this great stuff. Uh, But uh, her last sentence here, thank you for indulging me and I'm looking forward to the season five retrospective and season six episodes. I also really hope you all will pick another show to dissect once you've covered The Sopranos to your satisfaction. The vibes of this podcast are, as the Utes say, immaculate. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Leah. Great email. And you asked some really killer questions. Thank you. Anything you send, I will look at. And I promise you, we will get back to the other stuff you wrote in your email because it's so good. I just have to move on here. We have a guy named Dave uh, who writes us regularly. sends us. I, I can't read every little message he sends, but he comments on our Facebook stuff. He... Writes us emails. I, I got two from Dave here. One longer, one one very short. Uh, Hi guys, Dave in Linfield, Mass here. Just finished your episode in Camelot. Not one of my favorites. Haha, <laughs> heard that before. I actually always kind of hated it. And oddly, it's the one that has me writing you. 
I seriously think this is one of your best episodes. The analysis was fantastic, and the way you tied several Easter eggs to JFK was splendid. The movie poster, the miscarriage, one other I can't recall. By the way, thank you for getting Paul's mic louder. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> After listening to your review of the episode, I went back and watched it again. I have a new appreciation for the episode. Now, what I find is that I actually enjoy the Junior and JT storylines. It's the Fran F. storyline that I hate. She's very annoying, but the tippy thread is hilarious. You brought up how uncomfortable the happy birthday song would make the viewer. Yep. I thought of a similar scene in Breaking Bad where Skylar sings in the office party for Ted. Equally uncomfortable, having me lean on fast forward. I think it's a stupid rendition that does it, no matter who is singing it. <laughs> I love the way the season serves to ramp up tension between New York and New Jersey. really sets the table for an awesome final season. Okay, folks, when you get to top tens, my number one, oh, in two Tonys after dinner in the parking lot. Absolutely. The waiter tells Paulie and Chris to go piss their money away at Blackjack. Paulie gives the best oh in response to the waiter calling them fucking assholes. <laughs> I agree. I love this whole sequence because it's a classic Sopranos writing with great detail. Bill's 1184. Waiter comments on the $16 tip. Uh, can't, uh, Chris obviously plops down an even 1200 and walks out. Can't wait for Marco Polo. As an Italian-American, I find it very entertaining. I look forward to hearing you walk through the episode. P.S. There's a lot of talk about AI these days and how it can replace all kinds of professions, engineers, anchormen, actors. Maybe someone could re-release Pro Shy Levushka. What do you think, Jordan? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I think you're right on, David. <laughs> Honestly, I would just like them to... Oh, I don't want to fucking hash this out again. I'm going to yell that. Uh, <laughs> I would just like them to cut out that scene. I just think the episode's fine without that scene. There you go. It just, it's just, let's just move on. All right. I'll ask, <laughs> ask ChatGPT to rewrite Proshailovushka without that scene. Thank you. And we'll see what happens. There's another one from Dave, much shorter. I just laughed at this one. Hi, guys. I had to point this one out. Just watch the episode where Uncle Zio passes away, season five. Uh, I believe that's um, also in Camelot, right? Yeah. If you are unaware, Zio is Italian for uncle making Uncle Zio totally redundant and the equivalent of Uncle Uncle. All right, there you go. <laughs> Maybe Sounds the underlying right. message from Chase is just say uncle. Regards, Dave and Linfield Mass. Thank you, Dave, for continuing to write us. Yeah, it's a little, only a little funnier than a character named Uncle Junior. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the uh, my favorite for last. This is our friend Alan from the Netherlands. Alan. There's a bless. little bit of a story here with these emails. We love you, Alan. We uh, You're one of our favorites, and I'm glad that you, you always deliver. Uh, this one's a little on the longer side, but it's Alan, so here we go. Uh, basically, for a little context, we had Alan writes us fairly regularly, and we had gone a little bit of a longer stretch than normal without an Alan email, so I just wrote him to check in. Alan, how you doing, pal? You okay? How are you? We haven't heard from you in a bit. And he writes me back. Hello, Chris, Paul, and Jordan. It's very kind of you to inquire about me. I feel almost like an honorable member of this thing of yours. <laughs> I'm doing You are, you are. You are, Alan. I'm doing okay, thank you, and of course, I'm still listening as avidly as ever to the pod. After episodes one and two of season number five, I, f I compiled some notes and thoughts in response to the three of you playfully ganging up on brother-in-law Brian and myself in reference, <laughs> to the in reference to the question of your collective antipathy towards the feds. However, I thought I would keep my Tinder dry for a while in case other issues came up. For a few episodes, nothing did until this week with Marco Polo when you all decided to poke the reposing tigers once again. 
I hurriedly dug out my notes and in my head had been busily concocting a devastating and dazzling retort when, <laughs> hey, presto, I saw your email. I'm busy putting the finishing touches to the letter and I will probably send it in a day or two. In the meantime, as an amusing side note, I have three boys who are all in their 20s. Sons one and three have both watched The Sopranos a couple of times and we've had long discussions about it. However, son number two is the contrary one. And so he watched just about every other prestige TV series while snubbing Sopranos. Then early this year, he finally succumbed. Curiosity got the better of him, and he began a methodical watch-through. Of course, he loves it. We began discussing it, and he revealed that he listens to a podcast after each episode. I casually inquired, which one? The Sopranos podcast with these three dudes. Quote-unquote. He is about to finish season three. I told him he might be in for a bit of a surprise uh, yeah. when he hits the listener feedback episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure whether he will be delighted or embarrassed. That's very funny. His son's name is Otto. So, Otto, thank you for listening to our show. We love your dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's weird for you. You're probably... La- I, I, I probably am way off on the accent here. I thought he was also English, but he lived in the Netherlands. I'm not entirely sure. But either way... Uh, we love your dad, Otto. <laughs> I do love you guys your podcast, so anything I might say in my forthcoming letter, which I'm going to read, should be taken as good-hearted, rigorous, intellectual jousting and not as bitter critique. Ciao for now. Oh, we got that from Collective Antipathy, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Chris, I would be interested in maybe at some later stage discussing aspects of Mad Men, seeing as you recently mentioned that you are busy with a watch through. Would love to talk Mad Men with you, Alan. Another All right, boring. let's another, get on to the joust. Another boring show. I fucking love that thing with Otto. Oh, yeah. That is Isn't so that hilarious? Cool. Yeah. That he, his I son just it. happens to listen to our podcast. It's so awesome. Otto, write in if you're listening, buddy. That's sopranospodcast at gmail.com. The sopranospodcast at gmail.com. All right. Alan writes back. As a... <coughs> Uh-oh. Plus <laughs> As an English wit and raconteur once put it, there are no sympathetic characters in real life. Hello, chaps. Alan here. As always, I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast. However true to form, I do have a couple observations and quibbles, so here goes. Now, to those of you who feel like this Quibble might, away. This might be a long email. However, the reason I'm really going into it... The reason I'm really going into it is because this is going to lead into our next discussion topic. So, uh, you'll see why I'm, I'm choosing to put I'm it I'm nervous. Here. Chris is shuffling okay. multiple pages. <laughs> As always, I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast. However, true to form, I do have a couple observations and quibbles, so here goes. As early as episode number two, I was already relishing your pugnacious delve into season five. You came out the blocks gunning for brother-in-law Brian, and perhaps me as well, by truculently reaffirming your antipathy to the feds while purposely colluding in an indulgent attitude towards the New Jersey mob. Yeah, the feds suck balls. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? Those guys suck. Colluding with the New Jersey mob is the show. <laughs> I almost suspect that you are stubbornly clinging to this position despite yourselves in reaction to Brian and it's I. It's not stubborn. They suck. What do you want? <laughs> having the temerity to question you on it. Oh, now temerity. I have to look up temerity. I also talk to I have to look up a lot. So that. it comes up a lot. <laughs> I just love that this guy has such a stellar vocabulary and our response is, the feds suck balls. <laughs> is there a more American response yeah. to that? <laughs> Fuck you too. Oh. <laughs> Joking aside, I think this debate gets to the heart of one of the show's deeper explorations, namely the duplicity inherent in the individual and in the government. 
Conformist viewers watch the show and live out a fantasy of unrestricted cavalier behavior and brazen irresponsible self-interest. This is something that in real life has been drummed out of them in favor of the illusory American dream. Watching the show is a convenient substitute for actively defying society's pliers. Now that might sound a bit holier than thou, but I would include myself in that, as David Chase probably would too. Even the mob guys oh, themselves. I already have responses. How, how long do we have to wait until you can say it? We can break, but we're almost at the end of the paragraph, right, and I'll right. let you counterpoint. Even the mob guys themselves need the yoke of a code to provide restrictions and handy excuses. The show doesn't present this as a fantasy escape. I mean, the, their, their lives are so clotted with, uh, you know, uh, the the... God, I don't even know where to start. There's so much conflict within these men. No one no one is watching the show saying, I wish I could live that life. I wish I could be this guy. It's all the difficulties and all the violence and all the ways in which you hurt people. It's all the seeing the ways in which you're tempted and then manipulated. Uh, you know, this show, yeah, yeah, we have fun with these guys, but the, the show is very much about how problematic not only their life is, but all life is. Mm. Uh, it's not a fantasy escape. It's not. Yeah, what well, fantasy is long-term parking? Right, or really there's any all, of it. Any no, of these truly. episodes, you know? Yeah. Well, I think, but I think uh, Al, Alan's onto something about how we want that escape. But then, you know, there are these complications. I think Jordan's right. Remember in the test stream, Coach Molinaro he says to Tony, "I always knew you'd take the easy way out." Chris, what does Tony say? Hasn't been easy. That's the show. There That's it is. the show. Yeah. Well said. I was going to actually bring that up too, Paul. Great job. Meanwhile, the FBI, fictional and real, have no interest in ridding America of the mob. That would be like a turkey voting for Christmas. <laughs> that, is, that, is, that is correct. I love that. However, they must appear to be aiming at that while enjoying the ride, the expenses, and the kudos. The state does not want to actually solve the problem either because it deflects attention away from governmental shortcomings as a perpetual, supposedly worse, sideshow. That's an astute point. Uh, totally. Yeah, I agree. I like to believe that the initial intentions of the FBI, its agents, and the likes of Zellman, etc., were probably laudable, but that reality and weariness leads to compromises and self-preservation. However, in theory, that never extends to murdering those who get in your way or interrupt your pursuit of greed. This is why I can't have any sympathy for the mob guys, particularly seeing as it not merely strictly business, but often gratuitous. For example, during the iconic scene when Furio rampages through the massage parlor, they cut back to Tony sitting in the car. Hearing the mayhem, he reclines in his seat and takes a celebratory drag on his cigar. I actually don't believe this would happen in real life. Instead, it is artistic license, but such that it is intended to further iconize, iconize Tony and legitimize him through an empathy we deep down know we should not be encouraged to feel. By season five, we're watching Tony be attempting to defy the inevitable. We in our hearts want him to, but if he did so, the regularness of his life would eventually bore us. We would be watching ourselves instead of the Cavaliers. As a side note to Tony being a struggle, the same raconteur also said, it's no good running a pig farm badly for 30 years while saying, really, I was meant to be a ballet dancer. By then, pigs will be your style. Sure. <laughs> uh, listen, there's some legitimacy to that. Uh, I agree. Uh, yeah, maybe that's not exactly how that kind of thing would go down. But the difference is the people that live the criminal life, whether they're the people running the massage parlor or whether the people in the mob, you know, itself, uh, that's the contract they're operating under. You're taking, uh, you know, opposition to this idea that, okay, yeah, the mob kills people or, or does violence to them when things don't go their way, where they cross the rules, you know, whatever's going to happen. Uh, 
the FBI kills you too. The FBI killed Adriana. I mean, really. Uh, it's just, it's it's a more indirect course, right? Mm. They're going to do things to you that are going to basically drain your life away anyway. Look what's happened to every informant on this show, except for one guy. Okay, Ray Curdo. That's it. <laughs> right. There's, here's what, I, I agree in some parts, disagree in others, but wh- where I can at least see eye to eye is kind of that cognitive dissonant hang up. Of I I just can't feel bad. Not I I don't um, feel that way for the Sopranos, but I struggle with empathizing or sympathizing with characters like um, Mickey Rourke and the Wrestler. I can't connect to that film because I don't understand why he doesn't just go see his daughter. Like just go see your daughter. There's a very clear right thing to do, and you're choosing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And I I really don't I don't connect to that. So I can understand the where our pal Alan is at in terms of not being able to get there with the Sopranos, I just don't agree in this sense. Um, I think it's a lo- there's a lot of interesting points made. Uh, I don't know if it, if it will be true with Brian when we can get more dialogue on it. It might be that we're emphasizing some different things, but we might agree more than it appears. Mm. Because I, I think for... For Alan, and at least speaking for myself, for me, <clears throat> this show this show is a joy to watch. It's a lot of fun. It's just as much fun to chat with you guys about it. But yeah. there's a moral struggle, yeah. and there's no easy answers. I, in some ways, it's about maybe trying to ask the right questions. Well, that was such a peaceful and diplomatic answer. I hesitate to read this next part. But it says, Paul's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> it says, update, with an underline in bold. Uh I've just been listening to your review of Marco Polo. You simply could not resist indulging in a fresh bout of poking the Brian and Alan bear, could you? So Poking poking a bear is dangerous. Making fun of you and Brian is fun. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, chaps, I'm taking the bait. Picture me rolling my sleeves up. I'm picturing it. You refer to Russ Fagoli as a charmless, snobbish, boorish, freeloading hypocrite. Indeed he is. However, these are personality flaws that you and I witness around us in everyday life. And if we are brutally honest, also once in a while within ourselves. You contrast him with Tony Soprano, the life and soul of the party, there with the charm, the jokes, and the bonhomie. You use this to justify your overlooking the murder, the crime, the wrecking of lives, the (laughs) adultery, and the avarice. Oh my god. You adopt the lofty tone and declare that a moral dimension is irrelevant because this is... He didn't murder anybody at the party. (laughs) This is about... (laughs) Jordan (laughs) Kahn. You adopt a lofty tone and declare that a moral dimension is irrelevant because this is about who would one prefer to hang out with at a party. Well, I do not buy that because the reason that Tony is so able to be affably twirling his sausages is firstly that he dodged 15 years in the can and the contrast of Tony B. lamenting his estranged daughter because he could not be there for her is right in front of us. And secondly, that the being an effective organized crime boss gives him riches, cachet, prominence, and instills fear, and thus opens many doors. Had he conversely chosen the honest life, he probably would not be so avuncular and social. He would be a regular punter, like you and me, who struggle, make ends meet, and get weary. And you wouldn't have a show to watch and enjoy, and you knew every step of the way exactly how it worked. But you walk around there in the Netherlands, <laughs> and your shoes and your diamonds, and you act like butter wouldn't melt in your mouth. And you didn't want it to get ugly. 
too late. Oh. <laughs> um, give me a fucking break with yeah. this moralizing. It's boring. I don't know. Are it's you boring that? and I don't buy it. Are you trying to say that if Tony wasn't who he was, he'd be like a boring regular person like us? Yeah, but why is it not a TV show called Jordan Hugh? <laughs> I agree. Do, uh, by the way, I sometimes do get this question. I'm not I'm no, not, well, I'm not reputing it to Alan or Brian, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I sometimes get this question. Why do we watch this show? Why do we need a show about a gangster? Why do we glorify gangsters? Now, before I quibble with whether or not it glorifies them, here's my glib answer to that glib question. It's the rest of you are boring. The rest of you sit around and moralize about this stuff, and nobody fucking cares. I'm serious. This is yeah. dull. I love that you're so fired up because he's coming back at you. I know that it's a visual bit on an audio podcast, but my face is like Paul red. Is, yeah, he's like a yeah. puffer fish right now. It's good. <laughs> His eyes are as big as Buscemi's right now. Oh! We're almost done. He specifically addresses you, Paul. The show's writers clearly crowbarred Russ Fagoli into this scenario. Why? So that easily impressionable romantics could assuage their inner conflict about rooting for the baddie. Crowbarred? Chase himself admits he is fascinated by mobsters and mob stories. This show is him asking why Americans are so drawn to this mafia myth. You three epitomize this because despite your urbanity, your insights, and your decency... You cannot help but yearn to be wallowing in that pork store along with these brutal knuckleheads. Thus, you have fallen into the trap the writers laid out for you. Why didn't I? Possibly, perhaps, because I am not American or Italian or am so invested in the myth that I began a podcast about the show. <laughs> this time, I have to ask Paul why he was, in particular, so vehemently dismissive of Fagoli and Father Phil. Is there something you want to tell us, Paul? Clearly, the writers love using such characters as red flags, as red rags, to draw out viewers' vulnerabilities. I had to ask myself if there is anyone on the show that I have a similar reaction to. Is probably Gloria Trillo. Why? Because I have the same ambivalent feelings toward my own mother that both Tony and David Chase had. She comes to resemble Livia to Tony the same way she resembles my mother to me. So that probably explains why I keep coming back to the show and you guys are breathing fresh new life into it. Thank you for that, and please keep up the excellent work. Alan. Damn it! Now I can't be mean. Right. <laughs> Any uh, anything else to Alan? Who's going to lead us into our next subject? Last words to Alan. <laughs> last words to Alan. He's going to write back, so you know, it's not really the last words. But. Yeah, I, Alan, I think you got the wrong impression. Uh, you know, we don't we don't want to be in the pork store with these guys. Uh, we enjoy watching the show. <laughs> Uh, but it's not like a surrogacy. It's not like we wish we were there or that we wish we were them. I don't want to be Tony Soprano. Mm. Uh, I celebrate his highs and I lament his lows and I am frustrated by him and I love him. But not in a way where like I am like living vicariously somehow. Uh, it, it's not that kind of a thing. And it's not even an idolization thing. I'm aware that that goes on for some people, but I, I think I speak for everyone in this room where I say, my investment in the show only goes as far as its characters and its story and how I can reflect on my own life, but in no way do I want my own life to become their life in any way. Mm. Uh, and actually everything Tony does and enjoys, I would probably hate. Uh, I don't want to be a philanderer. I don't want to be a violent man. Uh, do I want to party a little bit more in my life? Yeah, but not to the extent that it would harm others. Um, you know, watching their lives play out in this show is very satisfying in this way, and analyzing it on this podcast is very satisfying, but I I don't 
I don't want to be in there. Uh, you know, it's it's not that kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, and us ragging on the FBI more so than the mobsters doesn't mean we think the mob, the, the gangsters are morally superior than the FBI. The point is that they're all terrible. And all of them have a hand in, in the controversy and the issue and the deaths. And it is far more interesting to analyze it within everybody's bad than I think it is a good versus evil story. Especially because we have plenty of those outside of The Sopranos. And if I wanted a good versus evil, I'd watch that. That's ultimately what gets me about this argument. You say that all the time. Uh, I'll give you credit yeah, for yeah. sure. The, the, but no, you hit the nail on the head. It's like there are no less than 6,728 shows on television where the cops are the guys you're supposed to root for. <laughs> the Sopranos is not that show. It just isn't. They would we we would be following Agent San Severino. It would be called the San Severinos, and it would be about the uh, uh, Italian experience. You don't have to make it up. Yeah. You'd call Law and Order. It'd be called Blue Bloods. It would be called Chicago, Chicago Anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they got a lot of Law and, law and Order in Chicago. Where where I where I but will not Law and Order Chicago. Where I will give Alan credit is in his incredible vocabulary uh, and in the idea that. Perhaps our attitudes are colored by the fact that we're Americans and Italian Americans, but I am. Um, I think Alan, you're clearly a, a intelligent and literate guy. Um, I would only offer. I think, and I know that we dig in deep on this show, um, and I, I love doing it with my friends. I dare say we might be overthinking it a bit. Mm. Um, an example for me, um, politically speaking, I'm fairly liberal. My favorite movie is Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is a very reactionary movie. Mm. I sometimes think about it. I don't go into like a deep thing about like, oh, what does this mean? What am I hiding from myself or do any of that? <laughs> it's probably nothing. It's probably <laughs> just that the experience of that movie is very compelling to me. Um, so I think that we can kind of let this go. I think there's different readings and it's totally uh, fair. Um, but one of the things about this show kind of like Taxi Driver, is that it confronts a lot of these moral issues, but with an enigmatic quality that leads to the discussion afterwards, as opposed to what we seem to be obsessed with in this culture now, and I fucking hate, there's a right way to read this, a wrong way to read this, there's a right way to tell a story, there's a wrong way to tell a story, mm. there's a right way to do a feminist critique in a wrong way. There's none of that. There's just that and your experience of it. Amen. I love that. With that, it's time for a top three. Whoa! Top, top three. three! It's a top three! It's a top three! Top three. Top three characters slash performances. Oh, this is easy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Lily, do you want to start us this time? You got it, dude. <laughs> Number three is Carmella. Shocker. Mm -hmm. I have uh, one honorable mention. That's Vince Curatola as Johnny Sack. He stepped up in a big way, showed us something very different this year. But my number three, Steve Buscemi as Tony B. Yeah, I did an honorable mention for Carmella only because mm -hmm. I just I had to include the three I included as my top three. But um, Tony B is also my top three. Uh, sorry, he's also my number three. Tony B. Uh, quick honorable mentions for Carmella and Johnny Sack. Yep. And number three, Tony B. 
And uh, just just before we get to our number twos, for those of you who may not have listened to our other retrospectives for whatever reason, weird shit happens. Uh, we exclude Tony Soprano from these because he as the series lead and he has so many dynamic moments and scenes. It would be impossible to have a top three without him right. in a year. So He's the assumed always He's number one. Correct. Yeah. My number two is Tony B. Mm. My number two, Drea Di Matteo as Adriana Laserva. My number two, Chris Moltisanti. My number two, Drea Di Matteo as Adriana Laserva. My number one is Adriana. My number one, Michael Imperioli as Christopher. My number one's Adriana. My number one is Michael Imperioli as Christopher. So, mucho. We all have the same three, just yeah, kind of we different. Can really, we can go in any order here. You want to start with some of the ones that only made honorable, like Johnny and Carmela? Sure, yeah. Johnny. Let's start with Johnny. Uh, we had a long conversation about the character Johnny Sack, but uh, I think what Vince Curatola brings to this show is a great energy, and I thought he he showed us something different this year. That's why he was an honorable mention for me. It was a different Johnny, and it was exciting and dynamic. Yeah. Uh, real. Sp- specificity in this performance um it's not just a generic gangster performance it never has been um his arc has been wonderful and he's a fundamentally different character than he was when he started on the show and seeing his growth has been really satisfying and we must credit the actor with that uh now he is a really complicated threatening character uh that's gonna be dealing with some serious shit as we enter the next season in fact he's one of the ones i'm most excited to watch carmella Yeah, I mean, her arc is really interesting for me this season, and she executes it flawlessly as per usual. Yep. And she's incredible. I mean, you you can just, the writers can just put anything on that piece of paper, and she will slam a home run every time. Every time. It's just that extends into Nurse Jackie. I mean, she's just, she's tremendous. And. Sorry, everybody. She'll probably be in my top three for season six A and B. I know we have a no spoiler policy, but I think she's incredible. So when, as long as I can vote for her, she's in my top three. That's great. We were talking about the sausage twirling and all the dynamism and how funny it is, but when Carmela legit uh, feels gets upset with her mother at the end of that episode, I was right there with her. I felt it. Mm. Um, she yes, yeah, she can she can she can make me go anywhere. Um, whether it's fireworks or something very muted, which a lot of her storylines are because of how, <clears throat> well, I guess ensconced aspects of her life are. Like, you stay in the house and you do this and that. Matthew Weiner ended up stealing a lot of that imagery to do stuff for Betty on Mad Men when she was stuck in the house. Um, and it was great storytelling. So, uh, yeah, Edie Falco just nails it every time, including in seasons like this when some other stuff, like stuff with Adriana and Chris is more fireworks. Mm. All right. So I think we all have the same two and one, just different orders, right? So well, we have to do Tony B. Tony. Oh, Tony B. That's right. Yes. Uh, we had Tony B as our number three. We talked at length about what Tony B and Steve Buscemi brought to this, but just to touch back down, I thought this season was essential. I thought this is uh, right up there with Ralph Cifaretto and, and, and Richie April as one of those one to two season characters that really brought a lot of depth and as i said earlier uh there could be a show about tony b that works because steve buscemi brought that to the performance i'm curious to see if after the death of adriana and tony b one that tony is directly responsible for and one that tony is indirectly responsible for 
I wonder what the cumulative effect on Tony Soprano's character will be. Because hmm. uh, I could interpret this symbolically as a death of the rest of his humanity, or a lot of it. I don't know, again, I'm not that well-versed in the upcoming seasons of the show, if this really fundamentally changes Tony as a person, or if somehow he's able to just kind of absorb this and keep on going, as he had has with so much else. Um, but it felt to me like that was really Tony B's significance on this show, was to provide us with, again, another really thoughtful, you know, emotionally intelligent character that we... Uh, went along for quite a ride with and, and to see, you know, how that came to pass with Tony. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the big difference between Richie April, Ralph Zaffaretto, and Tony Landetto is that we really grow to love Tony legitimately, I think. Mm. You know, Ralph is charming but still really despicable and Richie April isn't even a little bit likable. And... and Tony also loved Tony B. Correct. So there was more love there, which brought another light, which is why I think he could hold his own show, which is why I think we are... Are we sad when Ralph is gone? Richie, certainly not. The, the word wouldn't be sad. I'm sad when Tony B dies. B dies. You know, I understand why. I think it has to happen, but I'm going to miss him in a way that, you know, forget Richie and... Ralph, I miss for other reasons. I guess he brings a he brings an electricity to the show, but it's not a longing for him. Yeah, that in a way that I will long for Tony B. Yeah, and Buscemi had to do all that, and um, add another wrinkle, which was that you could see this guy functioning operationally as a gangster. Right, but Tony S has to it has to be credible when to our Tony says to him guy like you brains balls if you'd be fucking straight with me i could use all that so the loss of him is also the loss of this possible other trajectory i don't know another earth two right where tony b survives and can still help tony s and we've watched the full tragedy right we saw him be so close to getting out and just getting usurped by by the life in a way that, again, we did not go through quite such depth with Richie or Ralph. Mm. Let's talk about Chris and Adriana, just as a, as a unit here, because they're either our number two or our number one. And what they're, what a season they had. This one, this season won them both Emmys. What a journey. They're, every moment mattered uh, for them on screen this season, and, and particularly the two obvious big standout episodes are Irregular Around the Margin and Long-Term Parking. I suspect at least one of those or two or both may end up on another list later this episode. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, what a journey for these two and these actors brought everything they had to this. Uh, I figured that these would be the top two and the, I I don't know. This is like by a nose. Sorry. And I well and I could I had trouble I had trouble I had trouble deciding which one was going to be one and two, yeah. which makes me so happy that we have a direct 50-50 split on this. I love that. That you know two of us thought Adriana was first and two of us thought Chris was first and boy it's more like 1A 1B for me. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I I just um yeah, it's great. And it, so much of it is them together, but they're seen separately. Part of it is a is Chris, the thing that I could say inches Chris out, I think I just wanted to um, pay that respect to Imperioli because he very rarely has made my lists. 
in spite of Chris being such a dynamic. He's one of my favorite characters. He's never made yeah. my top three list. And Dre DiMatteo was big last season on my list, was that uh, Adriana's storyline, of course, is particularly focused on her being a rat, being compromised. Um, Christopher's storylines um, have a number of different threads. There's problems with Tony. There's problems with the gangster life in general. There's problems with Polly. There's problems with his relationship. And Imperioli doing all of that, dealing with, of course, also being freshly in recovery and struggling mm. with all that, is um, is a lot. He's juggling a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, it's hard to make it all dynamic. And I was very impressed with it all. Um, that said... What Adriana does in this season is very special, so to have her on the list is also important to me, and of course it's an homage because it's my last opportunity yeah. to say for that actor, like, congratulations, this was really sterling work. Well, and their chemistry. Whether mm -hmm. they're having a rare moment of sweetness with each other or he's beating the fucking shit out of her, their on-screen on chemistry was so believable and so real. That's why it all hurts so much Yeah. at the, at the end of the day, is mm -hmm. that... They, they just had a connection. Yeah. Uh, well, and this is, you know, the end of Adriana, the end of that arc. I mean, that is... that You know, she she and that relationship have been with us since the show started. And I think uh, you're very much invested in, well, what's going to happen to these two? And how are they going to navigate all these things? And it comes to such a tragic end, and it's so well-performed. Mm -hmm. um, yes, particularly in those two episodes. But it's also the cumulative... Uh, you know, product of it all, right? It's the accumulated business of all of their struggles, all of their moments, all of their nice moments uh, throughout the entire series that finally comes to rest uh, here in the fifth season. Um, I gave the edge to Adriana, not because I thought Christopher's performance was was of any less quality, again, 1A, 1B, uh, but because it's the last opportunity I'll really have to talk about her in any significant way, I suppose, and... Um, also because she was the character that made my guts churn, right? She was the character that made my heart ache. Yeah. You know, I felt for Christopher, but I feared for Adriana. Like, it was really, it was it was another level, mm. you know. He had more decisions to make. Mine's purely bias of, like, it was hard to put him number one with Adriana still in the picture because he keeps beating her up. Mm -hmm. So Adriana got number yeah, yeah. What's the podcast we listen to? Oh, Brian Baumgartner. Brian Baumgartner. Uh, yeah, off the beat. Hell yeah. He's uh, Kevin from The Office, for those of you who don't know Brian Baumgartner's name. Uh, he does an interview with Dre DiMatteo where she explains a lot of the process that went into this. And particularly, to give credit to her performance, she was hired as like a one-off. Just to be Chris's girlfriend. Maybe an episode or two show no, up. the hostess. But the, the... Well, originally the hostess and the pilot at the restaurant. And they thought she was too waspy for the role, uh, if you <laughs> can waspy. believe that. And she, she, she's such an intuitive actress, actor. She knew that she needed to show more. So she shows up the next audition. She tells this story in the podcast. Her hair is all done up, big, Jersey style. She's chewing on some gum. She's got the heels, all that She's stuff. She's got the diamond the nameplate, exactly. necklace. And she made them see it. And as an actor that is so important and so impressive, it is not easy to go from a one-off, one-to-two-shot guest star thing into a series regular. That is a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. So, fuck yeah, Dre DiMatteo. Thank you for what you've contributed to the show. Thank you for Adriana. And we will miss Adriana. And I am terrified for everyone else that uh, this is 
obviously a incident that is going to pay dividends one way or the other beyond just her own death. This is uh, a big, big, big moment in the show. Her death cannot be understated. So thank you, and great performances this year. I want to go directly into our next top three! We are going to top three moments. Moments. I will start us off. Honorable mention, um, Melfi judges Tony in the episode Two Tonys. Tony pushes the issue after asking her out, makes her explain why she won't go out with him, won't take no for an answer, and then she uh, tells him exactly why she couldn't be in a romantic situation with him without judging him, and he says, fuck you, you fucking cunt. So that's, uh, that's an honorable mention. Realize, Chris. I have another one as an honorable mention, but I happen to know that my honorable mention moment is in somebody's top three, so I won't mention it until they do. But number three moment, Tony has a panic attack in therapy in unidentified black males. Mm. Um, I have two honorable mentions, and then my top three all come from the same episode, so I'm just going to give the listener a heads up there. My first honorable mention um, is the... Uh, it's sort of a flashback memory moment in All Happy Families when we see the camera pan around the table at Tony's really lame fucking joke. Mm. Mm. And the camera kind of lingers on Feech's face. Yes. And Tony realizes, oh, this guy's not on my side. This guy's against me. Something has to be done. Great moment. Great moment. The second honorable mention, which really should have qualified for one of the top three because it, it really affected me when it happened, but it just wasn't at the level of the other three, is uh, it's... Um, I'm not... I, I can't remember which episode this is from. You guys will know immediately. But uh, Carmela comes home to an empty house. She's got groceries and a potted plant in her hand. All happy families. Thank you. And she looks back at the driveway, and she has a flashback moment of little AJ going down the driveway on his tricycle. Hey, Mommy, look at me. And then a flashback of her younger self, you know, uh, and and she screams out, uh, you know, Anthony! Right? And then she flashes back, and she goes in, and she walks into the empty house. Uh, and it mm. just, like, ripped my soul out when I first saw that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which episode is that? All Happy that, Families. That is All Happy that's, Families, that's I'm sorry. Episode four. Yeah. Go but my number three, which Go is, I can't believe this moment didn't make it, but yeah, my number three, my actual number three, and all my ones are going to come from the same episode now. Um, I'm sure this is probably a higher rank for maybe somebody else, but if not, I'm glad I'm mentioning it now. Um, this is long-term parking. Chris sees the struggling family at the gas station mm. and the miserable man that he could be with the plastic bag full of convenience store groceries getting into the car. A couple of quick honorable mentions. Uh, unidentified black males, Tony and Johnny Sack in the car. Mm. Test Dream, Tony and Coach Molinaro. Marco Polo, Tony and Carmela in the pool. Mm. Moment number three. Unidentified black males, Tony has a panic attack in therapy. There you go, buddy. I will point out to our listeners that this is the only time I will do honorable mentions, of which I have three. So, <laughs> yeah. first honorable mention, Vito at the Yankees game, looking oh, like a little Vito. kid. Poor Vito, but also, fuck Vito, yeah, but fuck also, Vito. poor Vito, he looks so cute. Poor Vito. Oh. And fuck him. Um, right in the mouth. Next oh. honorable mention. It's <laughs> bat night. Under the bat. 
Uh, Carmela negotiates for six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And last honorable mention, the game of Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Mm. Very good. Great. Fabulous. Moment. And your three. And my three is uh, Tony B and Christopher at the farm. Yeah. Mm. I really nice. like that episode. It's a great episode. Uh, I haven't talked enough about it. It's really good. Yeah. My number two moment happens in Where's Johnny, episode three. The last scene, Don't You Love Me. Mm. And then that and the fade to Junior as he starts tearing up fucking gets me going even now just talking about it. Great moment. So well acted, so well written. That's my number two. My number two, it's not a pleasant moment at all. It's the opposite of pleasant, but it's just, just burned forever in my mind. It, it is literally the murder of Adriana in mm. the woods by Silvio, which, as horrible as it is, is an immortal moment. Yeah. Uh, horror. Yeah. Yeah. Number two, Adriana is killed. Yeah. Number two, Silvia shows up for Adriana. Yeah, okay, there you go. So all uh, that's hilarious. My number one is a different... We've all picked different aspects of Adriana's death. Uh, mine is the moment she realizes in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the ho- the car is moving to a place that is clearly not a hospital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my number one. Oh, uh, who, who's I started. One? So oh, okay, so my number one, uh, my number one is, it's a whole scene. It's, it's Adriana's confession to Christopher about Oof. what's been going on all this while. And I, I like the moment, just, I don't know, I, I think that's my favorite moment all season of just like the culmination of it all and it's stronger to me uh yeah it's great what can i say number one moment is lunch at vesuvio um everything you have is because of my fucking sweat Mm. um i went a different route uh my number one is tony b leading the doctor like telling the doctor why uh, adriana (laughs) couldn't have uh filleted tony (laughs) that was in my honorable mentions tony i wrote it as tony b saves the day yeah, he does a really good job there. It's like surprising and fun and funny and correct. Well, the and star is the attending. You can explain how it's not medically possible. Yeah. <laughs> so good. I'm sorry, I are just, you a physician? I I love that moment. I love the guy who plays the doctor. Yes, he's so good in both that and the Nick and he's great. Chef Kiss. All right. Any elaboration on any of this, or? Um, I like one of the re- among many that I like the scene at Vesuvio. We've talked about it a few times in this retrospective. Is not only is Tony seeming to whether he consciously decides it or not, he's like Carmela needs to be reminded that she's not falling out with like a husband that she's having a hard time with. She's falling out with a gangster. <laughs> so what's equitable is what I say is equitable. What's fair is what I say is fair. What's just is what works for me. I, I feel like it reminds the audience of it too. Don't forget who you are dealing with. Um, Because he's ruthless in that moment. I want what I'm entitled to. You're entitled to shit. Yeah. Yep. All right. Moving on here. Uh, We are getting shorter on time. So I'm going to just bring up a couple topics. And we'll each give like a quick thought on it. Kind of more rapid fire style. Before we get into our final uh, top three. But just some other things we have to touch down on. If we're going to talk about season five. Real quick, let's touch down on the kids' journey this year. Meadow, AJ, Finn, Meadow's engaged now. 
We can talk about the suitcase. You had something you wanted to say. I Lily do was have actually something to say. Screaming at the podcast. She was not on that episode. I was not on that episode. <laughs> I was a, a mere listener of that episode. Which, which one? Unidentified black males. Yes. Yeah, that was the suitcase. Uh, oh, yeah. And I sorry, think there yeah. was a while I was overall. Most, nine out of ten pleased with how that conversation went. I thought there was a big missing piece of the Finn Meadow conflict. Okay. And we, you you all went into why Finn went into that conversation, kind of not ready to have that kind of conversation. Meadow had just found out her parents are getting a divorce. Mm. And I think that that's really something important because all of her... Stability, regardless of how aware she is of who her family is, who her yeah. father is, she's going into that conversation like the one relationship that was stable. I used to brag to my friends that my my parents were still together, yeah. and now she's feeling this possible separation with her and her partner. Of course, she's going to freak out about a suitcase. Yes, she. It's the whole conversation is ridiculous and fueled by heat and chili. <laughs> Chilly, my goodness. But but her her core is breaking. Yeah. And so I just thought that that was a really important piece to consider 100%. because it can be really easy to, especially because her voice is just naturally more shrill, to and she I think kind of stokes it longer than I think Finn would have. I, I think there are legitimate reasons why more than the heat that she would come into that that argument irrationally yeah i agree with you i didn't think of that at all honestly yeah, in yeah. terms of where she was coming from you know yeah. this is uh this is 2023 i'm a i'm a progressive man you know this is uh i'm a modern man this might have been a time once one once uh, long ago i would have said lily shut your mouth and go make us a snack but instead i'm gonna say i missed something there and you brought it to our attention <laughs> and uh, i really appreciate you enlightening us and sharing that with our audience <laughs> I'll do respect. You're dumb. <laughs> if you guys are ever having an argument, don't fall asleep. Um, are you asleep? That that right. would have ticked me off too. Well, let me uh, let me spring off of Lily. Where are these kids at this season? They are both reacting to this divorce, or or what's about to be the divorce, right? Uh, this is the way Madone, which is reacting, which I really didn't consider until Lily brought it up, uh, and. AJ is, we know a lot of kids that have behaved this way, right? And it's gotten much worse, right? He was never the best behaved, most well-adjusted kid. And now talk about a core being destabilized. Meadow's much stronger than AJ, right? So what for her is a little argument with her boyfriend that turns into something a little bit more tumultuous, right? AJ is, might as well just be flying away off the planet, right? Uh, He is... Completely horrible to Carmela this season. He goes to actually live in a different house with Tony, and Tony can't take it either. He has to move back. Right? He is the kind of kid, since the beginning of the show, that tests boundaries Mm -hmm. and needs to be reined in, and there is no rain right now. Right. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's been totally destabilized. Um, He ends up only in an okay spot because the two parents get back together, but he has not... Gained any more maturity or independence for all of that. Um, we see little glimmers of, I hesitate to call it any kind of hope, but like 
he's like running that party with his friend and you know yeah, the seems, event planning right seat. event planning right i mean his college prospects are basically nil as we know from wegler uh he ends in a good spot because his parents are together he ends in a bad spot because we know nothing about this child's future uh what he can do what he's capable of he has no skills they he has the, nothing they, that he can really do. Tony hates the event planning, but he's grasping onto some hope that at least it's something. They're grasping onto to anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, AJ's destiny is still uh, in flux. Meadow, less in flux. Still, I, I don't know. Does anyone feel completely confident that Meadow and Finn are going to walk down the aisle? Obviously, no spoilers, but... Uh, no, no, I, I don't feel confident in that, but I feel confident that whatever Meadow does, she'll figure it out. Mm. Yes. I agreed. don't know that that's true for AJ. AJ could end up really bad. I don't think Meadow could if she's in charge. Mm. I agree. Well said, guys. And uh, Lily, truth, honestly, jokes aside, thank you for adding that context there. That as a child of divorce, I feel that, and I'm, sh- I'm sorry we didn't mention it initially. Hmm. Touchdown quickly, <laughs> touchdown quickly uh, on the gangsters uh, who were not uh, in the class of 04. Just a quick touchdown, boom, boom, boom. Sil, Pauly, Vito, I think, are the big guys this year. Silvio, of course, Tony Steadfast, number two, the killer of Adriana. Just pretty steady, exactly what you expect from Silvio. Great scene in um, All Due Respect with Tony, where he confronts him about his issues with authority. Sil knows when to lay back. He knows when to press. And boy, can he be the button when he needs to be the button on the very rare occasion. I met with a friend of, uh, I was going to say friend of ours, um, friend of mine um, named Rob Asaro. He lives out in uh, Parsippany. Grew up in Soprano country. We've been talking about The Sopranos for years since it aired. And we got to talking about it today. We were having coffee. And I don't know how we got on to talking about Silvio and this very scene in all due respect um, where he calls Tony out on XYZ, and Rob said something, he put it in a way that I had never thought of before. He said, Cilio's the only real loyal gangster. Mm. Indeed, loyalty reflected in telling your boss the hard truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we saw from Tony's reaction, it's not hard, to, it's easy, it's hard to tell Tony Soprano the truth. <laughs> right. Yeah. Silvio knows, has amazing restraint he only pulls it out when he has to, which is the only reason why he can talk to Tony that way. Because Tony knows Syl wouldn't say it if he didn't need to. Mm. Because Syl really only talks when he has to. Paulie had a pretty steady season. Ken, a friend of the show, sent me a meme that uh, said, To most people, A24 is a film production company, but when I hear A24... That's uh, what I imagine Polly Walnuts would say to Kiefer Sutherland on the street. <laughs> hey, 24. Very good. Commendator. Um, I think what I like most about Polly is that he basically remains completely unchanged season right. to season. I think it's intentional. This man has no arc. Um, I say with love. And, well, uh, and they, this is not a criticism a of the writing. When Chris is I looking think, for an arc in season one... Paulie's the one who has to tell him, man, nothing did, so what? <laughs> nothing happened. There you so go. Much. I think Christopher changes so much season to season. Obviously, he goes through a lot here in season five. Uh, Silvio, we see growth from, right? Uh, and like we said, he's got two of the best scenes in this season, right? He has, of course, what he's been ordered to do in Killing Adriana. He also has this uh, confrontation, shall we say, with Tony in All Due Respect. 
Paulie's exactly the same every season. He is a flatterer who only looks out for his own unprincipled self-interest, um, and he will just do whatever keeps him around the longest. He's the eminent survivor. That is just what he does. Um, yeah, flare-ups here and there that kind of operate on a cycle, but he's just the same dude. He's the same guy he was in season one as in season five. Yep. And Vito. Big moment for him. He's captaining. He's, he's in charge of the cursed April crew at this point. Yeah, still cursed. Uh, yes, because uh, he, Ralphie, he's, he's taken over for Ralphie now, uh, running the construction site. Uh, he's, he's worth mentioning because I feel like this uh, thing in the car is not going to be um, kept... Uh, there, there's, it's, there's, it's, there's consequences. It's the gun to in that. the first act. Correct. It, there's to, some, use, yeah. to use Paul's favorite dude. It's uh, it's the letter behind the sink. That's <laughs> that's uh, that's definitely an important and big piece of information. We haven't had this in in a mob show or even I don't think a mob movie up to this point. A character who is, if not gay, performing arguably gay acts. Never, and, uh, never this explicit. Yeah. Arguably. <laughs> in, the, in the movie Little Caesar, actually, there's been a lot of talk that between Edward G. Robinson and one of the other gangsters, there's a homoerotic connection. But the movie's made in the 1930s. Of course, anything that's even remotely there is merely suggested. Right. Um, yeah, it's a it's a wild thing. It's so interesting. It comes up in a very dangerous context for Vito that anybody would know. Then it becomes dangerous for Finn because Vito's vulnerability makes him immediately a shark it's part of a great episode too yeah yeah identified blackmail is a great episode it's like it's sort of controlled in that one moment but i think you're right the audience senses that it's probably something's gonna happen even in the next episode there's a bit i think where we see Vito watching a woman strip at the bada bang and it's like well (laughs) And, and, and look not to paint not to paint anybody into a into a corner here or to broadly categorize people but it's also important to note that the gay, gay, the closeted gay gangster, is working in construction, and that's a different culture than I think. Let Let's just say this: uh, I've worked a lot of different uh, gigs and jobs, and one of the uh, gigs I've worked more recently has me dealing with a lot of people in construction, and the amount of pronouns in the uh, signature of your email that I get from people in the entertainment industry. Does not exist in the construction industry. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? It's a different corporate culture. Uh, So I think that also is adds to an element of like you know big fat Italian construction hard hat guy in that environment. Uh, It's it's a um, it's a traditionally masculine role. So there is a sense that this could be uh, dangerous actually for For a lot of people. And the security guard has to be kept under wraps. Correct. Yeah. And uh, Finn knows about it. It has told Meadow. So, big development. I think that's worth uh, remembering. I remember when this season ended, I was worried about where that was going. So, let's see. Uh, two other quick uh, topics here. One, let's quickly touch down on Junior's decline, which was markedly severe this season. We started seeing bits of dementia with the head injury last season. Uh, but as of Where's Johnny, Jr. is in a different place. He has that nihilistic breakdown after using the funerals in, in Right, he Camelot. gets medicated and then he goes to nihilism, yeah. Right, because uh, he realizes that he's got a he's standing in a grave, that's his quote. And then by all all due respect, he's 
he's out to lunch. Tony can't even keep up a moment-to-moment conversation with him about the predicament he's in. Junior for the can't... first time in a while, Tony really seems to want his advice. Yeah. In that moment, right? And Junior can't keep the thread. Yeah. Even it's sad. It's sad. I don't care who who it is. It's sad to see somebody's brain go, especially knowing where they start. Yeah. It's just hard for everybody. In a just world, Junior would be of sound mind and body, accounting for his crimes. But failing that, he would have died already. Yeah. Right. I've brought this up many times on the show. Junior is the kind of gangster who was meant to have died a gangland death much earlier than this, mm. rather than suffer the indignity of old age. Mm-hmm. You know. But it's uh, it's well played by Dominic Cianese, and uh, it's 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 sad to watch. One has to wonder. If there's a time gap between this and season six, what kind of condition he's going to be in right. by the next time we pick up with these characters? It's uh, yeah. something. In, in further response to an earlier bit of listener mail, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that you feel like you would want somebody in your life for, right? Uh, you know, listen, we, we get married for all kinds of reasons. You get married for love, companionship, you want to start a family could be financially sound, anything like that. Junior has foregone all that to live his own individual lifestyle, to be content in his solitude, to perform his duties as the boss of a family or prior to that, a capo in a family, to the best of his abilities. But now he's subject to all the same things that we're all subject to. Uh, old age, infirmity, the degradation of the flesh. Uh, you know, he, he has no one there to support him through this, so it is especially harsh. Uh, because there's no one that's going to be there with him all the time. It's going to be either a hired nurse or whatever gangster they have posted to him in this moment. It's very lonely. Uh, and you have to believe that it's not, uh, even as advanced as his dementia is, it's not full-blown dementia. He has lapses where he is coherent again. And I think it's a lonely place to be grasping around in the dark. Uh, his fate is arguably the worst of anyone's because he's still in there. Mm. Yep. Contrast it with it dragging on beyond this season at the end of the season at the beginning of the season Carmine Sr. got to die golfing with his he was going to go, it would have been a great afternoon if he hadn't died yeah it would have golfing with my friends I was yep. having some eggs I smelled burning hair out yeah good yep. night yeah. 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 and Junior's in house arrest I mean he might as well be in solitary it's it's terrible yeah he's got the legal and the, and the health uh, it's not even like a well at least you got your health it's right it's, yeah. he's, nothing. He's, he's losing it he, and he has nothing that's correct Last topic here before we get to our final top three. Let's just quickly touch down on therapy this season. This is the through line. This is where the show starts in therapy. We had some pretty powerful... That The first part of the season, Tony was not in therapy post-divorce. He was actually trying to woo Melfi unsuccessfully. Prince of Tide. <laughs> That's right. Uh, gets back in and all happy families. Gives... Uh, gets some credit from Melfi for showing restraint and irregular around the margins. I think the next, uh, there's some other good moments in there. Tony's talking through the Gumar situation. She's trying to, uh, Fran Felstein, and Melfi's trying to get him to let go of his anger toward his mother and forgive her and move on, and he can't. Then we get into depression, his rage turned inward. She helps him with the rage, and she helps him through that panic attack. So some good therapy stuff. Here's what I'll say, generally, and then I'll, I'll pass it the ball to you folks. All of the therapy scenes and Melfi scenes were fantastic. And I especially liked when she had that, it was one of my top moments, when Melfi had to rebuke Tony's affections and judge him for the first time and explain why morally 
they can't be together. Generally speaking, therapy with Melfi, while the scenes are all great and the scenes have value, has taken a little bit of a back burner to a lot of the action comparatively, I feel like. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, therapy occupies far less real estate on the show than it used to. Hmm. Uh, but yeah. I think appropriately. And you don't want to add in therapy unnecessarily, otherwise it becomes tedious. Right. If it were just, oh, that's the format. we got to have Tony in therapy this week. Right. It's there when it needs to be. Sometimes it's only once an episode. Sometimes you go two or three episodes without it. It's a lot with a little. Yes. I think um, I think most of the season in terms of therapy is about that unidentified black male scene where he uh, seems to go into a panic attack in there and they draw it back to guilt and shame. It's powerful. It's interesting. It also points to a weird vibe that maybe we'll have to continue to thread out that I get at the end of the season, in the last episode, where Melfi, um, not wanting to know, unwittingly, facilitates Tony B's murder. She (laughs) says to Tony S., like, your son, your cousin, vis-a-vis them, whatever it is, own your feelings. And Tony does. And he's like, cool, get this shit done. Um, that's what comes of her saying, I'm going to help this guy and mark all these things out over here. I don't want to know the details. Hmm. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's sort of like uh, Jordan mentioned during our long-term parking episode that he felt that, for him, that episode marked the crossing of a Rubicon, wherein the answer in Jordan's mind to the question, "Can, can this all be redeemed, Tony in particular... The answer is pretty much no. That's a signal, anyway, that Jordan's getting at this point. I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I just, I feel so often in therapy, he's not really healing. He's just, I don't know, he's like fucking finding a way to be worse somehow, sometimes. Well, uh, and that's ultimately the point, is how tenable is that? Right. Where he is taking these great lessons that would help me, help Paul, help Lily, help Jordan, and then the message is, yeah, you know, she's right. I should go kill my cousin. <laughs> yeah. He's it's it's allowing him to not only work through but also justify his actions, right? Mm. Uh, I think one of the this is not an informed opinion. This is gonna come out a little bad. There are some people that go to therapy, and rather than work through their problems, this is not most people. I'm saying some. There are some people who go to therapy rather than working through their problems. They come away with justifying all the things that are the worst about them Hmm. and insisting that the world operates uh, under the premises of what they've been emboldened to do or to behave in which through therapy. And I think Tony's one of those people, right? Hmm. So you have people who are very narcissistic. They could even be a sociopath, something like that. They go to therapy and they have almost the reverse experience, right? Where, yeah, they work through some things, but it's about more about how the world should serve them and treat them a certain way, right? There's a certain entitlement that comes from it. Uh, I think we get a little bit of that from Tony. Mm. Listen, we have a great moment in this season where he has a breakthrough about his past and why he's been holding on to the skills. That's a great moment. It shows the beauty of therapy. Mm. But I, I don't think that is what Tony's really getting from the experience. Look how he reacts when she judges him in Two Tonys, right? That just tells you the difference right there. When I go to therapy... My therapist, I know that she's being non-judgmental because that's how she remains objective and is able to tell me what I need to hear. To someone like Tony, a, 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 a sociopath, basically, uh, he takes the non-judgment as, 
oh, okay, I, I must not be as bad a person as the world thinks I am. Correct. <laughs> well said. You know. But anyway, it's worth noting that that's what's going on. Great great scenes with Melfi, particularly the panic attack scene. I enjoyed seeing her in that capacity. She jumped boldly into crisis mode very well, and I enjoyed how she rebuked him early on in the season. Their scenes are always great. We're just not getting perhaps as many of them as we used to, but quality over quantity. And with, that, with that said, we had 13 episodes this season. Let's pick our top three episodes, baby! Top three episodes. Who wants to start? I'll start. Jordan? Honorable mention. Irregular around the margins. Ooh. My number three is Marco Polo. All right. Honorable mention. Irregular around the margins and Marco Polo. Number three, unidentified black males. Wow. My honorable mention is Marco Polo, and my number three is unidentified black males. My honorable mention is Marco Polo. My number three is the test dream. Number two, the test dream. Number two, the test dream. Number two, irregular around the margins. Number two, irregular around the margins. And your number one, sir? Long-term parking. Long-term parking. Long-term parking. Long-term parking. There we go. All right. Well, so what I'm hearing in different orders, well, first of all, everyone had the same long-term parking, so we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Uh, I heard a lot of Marco Polo honorable mention. Did someone have it as a number three? Or? I had it as my number, number three. three. Okay. Yeah. Were there any other honorable mentions that were not also number threes? I don't think so. No? Okay. So let's talk about Marco Polo uh, just quickly. We've, we, we talked at length during that actual episode about how it has that dreamlike sweetness to it. and Well, that's it. The party we all want to go to. <laughs> that's right. Listen, uh, you know, I I was tempted to put unidentified black males on my list rather than the Marco Polo. And actually, unidentified black males, which is an outstanding episode, didn't actually make my top list, even though, of course, it's fantastic television. Well, a top three in this season is impossible. Correct. You're leaving out something preposterously good. Right. Uh, Marco Polo, for me, represents what we're all fighting for. This is what's at stake. This is the beautiful party at the beautiful house with the beautiful family. It's the party we all want to attend. This is what Tony B. wants. This is what Tony Soprano wants back. This is what Carmela wants back, to some extent, under conditions, right? Uh, this is what is upheld. This is what is celebrated. This is the home. This is the home on display. This is what Meadow can enjoy. This is what AJ can enjoy. Playing a game in the pool for together. We're all searching for this thing. We're all playing Marco Polo, right? We all want this thing. You all want to be at this party. Um, and, you know, there's not a ton of action in this episode. Yeah, we got some action sequences. There's some stuff that takes place that's not at the party, but I... You know what? If I'm going to put in gun to my head any one episode from this season, I'm just going to put it on. I'm just going to enjoy it. It's Marco Polo. Yeah. And I just yeah. want to enjoy it. You feel, as a viewer in this, you got invited to Hugh DeAngelis' birthday. That's a very special thing. You're going to enjoy it. And he has a great time. And it's very, very sweet. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's okay, even on this show, to uphold something that is just sweet and good. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Well said. Couldn't have done it better. Unidentified Black Males was on some lists. It was a near miss for me. Uh, it wasn't on my list. It's what Jordan said when we recorded the actual episode on it. It's how you survive in Lie World. Mm. And part of it is the what you have to project. Part of it is even, I think, what you have to delude yourself with. Paul, and when you said in that episode that we covered this in the uh, 
black male being black male and the black mm-hmm. blackmailing yourself. Blackmail. It, ugh, fucking mind exploded. One of many Paul Mancini <laughs> mind explosions. Yeah, Paul. Um, and I think, you know, there's so many different things. I still love the um, surprise of Will Janowitz. Mm. being so good <laughs> as Finn um, yeah. and how we got introduced to that character. It has another. It has one of those moments that I was talking about where Tony and Johnny Sack are in the car and it's it's dangerous, it's crazy, it's funny at times and then at the end Edie Falco makes me cry mm. when she cries and they play the uh, Carpenter and the Douchebag song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was on my list and I agree with Paul. Great. Uh, test Dream... Regular around the margins and long-term parking are what we're basically... So we're going to save long-term parking for the end. All right, right. Uh, which right. one do you want to take? Uh, the Let other me two. briefly say this about both irregular around the margins and long, and uh, the test stream. Yeah. Which is that both episodes, to me, kind of go on the list in part out of respect for the fact that they fucking did this. Yeah. And I don't think either one should really work. Right. I agree. Like what? Like you can't do a regular around the margins. That they're not going to get together. Nobody's going to buy that. There's not even a B thread in this episode. Test dream. It's just a fucking dream, and it's like ten different things happening that nobody's going to get. But they both really work, and they're worth having work, and they're compelling, and enigmatic, and frightening, and funny, and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So yes, sir. There are so many moments when I'm when you're in the entertainment industry, or you're an actor, or a writer, or your director, or whatever. Where you're, you you can tend to get a little cynical. Not even cynical is the right word, but you have trouble turning off your brain, and you can watch something, and say, "Oh, I see how the writer got there," or "Oh, yeah, they got the camera up on the swivel rig and they dipped it in and they did the zoom lens, and you know you can kind of pick it apart and, and determine what it is that the craft has been." I don't understand, as someone who's been doing this for a while, how the fuck test dream even gets made. I don't understand how they wrote it. I don't understand how they shot it. It's baffling to me. And for that alone, just because it's very hard when you have that kind of brain where you're always trying to figure out the magician's tricks Mm. when they can pull the wool over your eyes. And the test stream does that for me on all levels. It's just a master class. I don't know how it was done. So that's why it's on my list. Irregular, what, what can you say? It doesn't require a detailed explanation in so much as it's just a bust ass, kick ass fire-breathing dragon of an episode it just it, it it just pumps the gas and you're in a fucking the meadowlands with a gun pressed to christopher's head nice foley work there chris <laughs> uh, not to mention any episode that brings us the moment you know what to do down there is uh, <laughs> is, is one i'm gonna appreciate it's episodes like those two also that infuriate me when people don't at least pay homage to the sopranos when talking about best tv shows it's like you know sopranos did this so that breaking bad and mad men and Mm -hmm. all of those other great television shows could exist yeah so you 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 can't you can't have conversations about those without talking about the sopranos in my humble opinion a regular's good. It's just great TV. It's it's an awesome, awesome episode. It, it made my honorable mentions. Uh, Test Dream, uh, you know, it's it's one of the episodes of the Sopranos series that stands out most in my mind because it's like, how do you take the viewers of this show and bring them up to that level and make them care about something that is basically purely symbolic? Just pure poetry is what you're watching on screen. 
None of it exactly makes sense. It's almost like you're watching like a choreographed dance routine at times, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, I see all these pieces broken apart. They're coming together in new ways. Uh, some of these people are dead. Some of them are alive. Some of them are Annette Benning, right? <laughs> what am I supposed to do with any of this? And what you end up doing is a little bit of uh, how you would interpret like a, a Surratt painting, right? Like, okay, all these little splotches of color, all these little dots... I make meaning out of them, mm. right? It's kind of like they're opening up the Sopranos toolkit and saying, here, you create meaning from this. What does this mean to you? Tony comes out with one understanding of it, and you probably come out with a better understanding of the show as a result. People that, that don't really like the Test Dream episode, I think um, they're used to something that has a linear sequential plot, and they can't really do that. They don't have that skill. That's not to say that um, only intelligent people can do that. It has nothing to do with that. It's just... Folks that can derive meaning from symbols, from emotional color, from individual moments, and can kind of make that something that becomes a whole out of like all those individual parts. It's really beautiful TV. If I can add just right on top of that, I think that there are also people who are comfortable with not having answers and people who 100%. need every answer. Right. There is a reason why... I, like, I can't, I love true crime and I love more prestige detective true crime stuff. I can't stomach Law and Order because every answer is given to me and right. I like a little more actual mystery. Sure. Doesn't mean if you like Law and Order that means anything about you. Uh -huh. I'm just someone who likes absurdist theater because I'm, I'm comfortable not knowing what that means or 100%. what it answers. and. I think that it, there's a comfort level that comes to that for people. I agree. I also love that with an episode like Test Dream, because it is essentially poetry, because it's all split up the way it is, um, two people can have totally, completely different interpretations of what that episode means or what its individual symbols mean. Both can be right. Neither are wrong. Um, and you can also have someone that doesn't actually get one specific meaning from it and just appreciates the pastiche of symbols and scenes and lines and characters that appear and all that stuff, and that's fine too. You know where that doesn't work? Patsy Parisi's reading in all two episodes. Right, that's not. Right, that's right. not. I don't want a whole can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, long-term parking. Let's just belt it out here. Uh, look, uh, what what can I say? It it has everything a great Sopranos episode should have. While we're eating ice cream sundays and watching television <laughs> in our living room, a woman is being brutally murdered in the woods. While we're making hand job jokes and kissing in a closet. We are choking a woman to death after finding out she's been ratting to the feds. While we are talking about constructing a, a beautiful new home, we are destroying a family from the inside out. It's everything you need about a Sopranos episode as far as crossing the mundane with the life or death stakes. It's told masterfully. The way they reveal the information is masterful. And... It has surprise, it has shock, but it also has inevitability. It has everything you want, not just in a Sopranos episode, but in a great drama. This will likely be on my top three if we do a series retrospective. That's how good it is. So, long-term parking for me. Well said. End of that episode, they're in the woods. The, the image of the woods, of course. Um, Tony seems to have trouble catching his breath. Sits down on like a stump, Yeah, I think. Carmela puts a hand on his shoulder. She says, you're, you're all right? What does Tony say? Absolutely. Absolutely. How much do you guys trust it? Not at all. That's how much I trust moral absolutism as a reading on this show. Mm. Mm. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, the performances in long-term parking are outstanding. I think it's got some of the most lingering, um, lingering, lingering images on the show. All um, three of your top moments were in it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's the episode that affected me most, and I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, and that's not to diminish anything else in season five. It's just, it is a singular episode. It's incredibly brutal, and um, in a way, in like a sickening way, it's also an episode that's sort of inevitable. Mm. You're waiting for this to happen the whole time. You just don't know exactly how. And now you're seeing the how. It's one of those episodes that, if you know nothing about The Sopranos, or very little, you'll know the words long-term parking. Mm. It's just unforgettable along the lines of college, university, employee of the month. Mm. Yeah. Of what we've covered so far, yeah. Of what we've covered so far, I could add to the list for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I won't. However, it's just, it, it, it's it's three words that will give me chills the rest of my life because I will always associate them with how I feel watching that episode. Yeah. Amen to that. And with that, that is our Season 5 retrospective. Any final thoughts on this? I, I just thought Season 5 was a kick-ass, kick-ass year. Uh, I... I, I I'm sad that we're reaching the end, but we have one, we have two seasons worth of material coming at us, so we still got a lot left. Season six might be my favorite altogether if we count part one and two together. So season five left me wanting more, and uh, yeah, I'm excited for all of it. Any last impressions of season five before we sign out? Yeah, not to end on a down note, but I'm getting the feeling, and I'm not well-versed in season six. I'm getting the feeling that there is a darkness in this show that is kind of just implacable, right? Uh, and I mean more than just the casual darkness of being like a show about gangsters who kill people, right? I just mean to say whatever this show is trying to say about life, the sum total of existence, um, uh, I think that Needle is, is starting to get more nihilistic as the show goes on. Um, and even though the season ends on kind of like a bright note, um, you know, we get a little bit of the Van Morrison, the glad tidings and, and things seem okay for Tony. Things seem okay for Tony, but things don't seem okay overall. Mm. Right. And I don't know that we can ever get back to a better place. And I'm not sure that the show wants us to. Well said, uh, the show continues to surprise. It will continue to surprise. Yeah. All right. Well, that's pretty much it. I'm going to leave uh, on this note. Rest in peace, Jack Mazarone. Thank you all. This has been <laughs> Season 5 of The Sopranos and The Sopranos Podcast. I'm Chris D'Amato. I'm Lily D'Amato. I'm Paul Mancini. And I'm Jordan Hugh. And we will see you for members only. We will probably take a, a, a brief hiatus between seasons, but we keep it short, not too long. If you have any comments or you want to be featured on another episode, please write us at the uh, that's the Sopranos Podcast at gmail.com, at, at the Sopranos Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Sopranos Podcast on X, Twitter, whatever the fuck you want to call it. <laughs> We're there. Thank you all. We really appreciate our listeners. This has been a hell of a journey. Season six opens with a bang. Cannot wait to get there. Love you all. Have a great time. See you for season six. How about this humidity? I got myself a girl.